Thanks, Hans. Uh, happy Easter to everyone. So great to see you here. Uh, my name is Rowan, one of the pastors here. And what a great weekend to celebrate the fact that Jesus is risen, right? Uh, that he came, he lived, he died, and that he rose again, and that our hope in the future is a certain hope. It's exciting to be able to do that. And I hope today, in the coldness that's here a little bit, that we can step back and look at how amazing Jesus is. I love Easter. It's one of my favorite times of the year, partly because there's a holiday, and often as our staff team, we, we kind of have a pretty full run up to Easter and then get, get a break afterwards. But also because it's a time that we get some time off to stop and think and think about life and, and look firmly and squarely at human history, the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Now, if you're new here today, special welcome to you. I really hope that you get some time to reflect on who Jesus is and what he means as we look at this part of God's word. As Andrew said at the start, at EV, we're all about God's word, about what he has said to us in the scriptures. And you don't want to hear what's going on in some pastor's head up the front. Like, I've got nothing to offer. We want to hear what God has to say to us in his word. So why don't you join me as we ask God now to help us to understand the significance of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Let's pray together. Father God, as we come together today, as we get an opportunity to sit back and to reflect on life, on history, on what matters, we ask that by your spirit, as we look at your word today to us in Matthew, that you'd shape us, you'd mold us, you'd excite us, You'd challenge us to think through what we build our lives on. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know what the last two years have felt like for you, but for me, I've just been feeling this huge decision fatigue. That reality that, oh, I've got to make another decision. There's something that's changed. Now I've got to work out here what I do or, or what happens there. Have you felt that? Has that been your experience as well? No? Yeah, yeah, okay, good. Well, not good. I hate it. It's horrible. I hate that reality that there are so many voices to weigh up, so many decisions to make. I just, I just feel exhausted. And every day we're bombarded by the world around us on pretty much everything. Do we get vaccinated? Don't we get vaccinated? Uh, do we wear masks? Don't we wear masks? And it's not just COVID that hits us. There's you know, friends, family, loved ones, colleagues saying to us, you know, you should be investing in property. No, you should be investing in shares. People coming to me saying, eat less carbs, Rowan, eat more protein. Um, or maybe, no, you just need a good balanced diet and you need to eat just regular small meals throughout the day. Then other people come and say, no, just, just eat in a four-hour window and then don't eat any other time. That'll make your life better with this intermittent fasting idea. And then come along kind of people who want to talk to us about parenting. And man, have they got opinions. Right? It's like, okay, what you've got to do is let your baby cry so that they kind of um, can, can experience to self-settle. And someone else is like, no, if you do that, they'll have emotional damage their whole life. Don't do that at all. They're going to ruin this kid. And I'm like, oh, what do we do? And then we've got teenagers now. All our kids are now in the, the, the two-digit category that happened yesterday. Amy clocked over to 10. Yeah. They also pray for us. <laughs> I got nothing. I don't know how to do that. And there are so many voices, aren't there, telling us, how we should live, what decisions we should make, what we should do. How do you work out who to listen to? How do you work out who to listen to and what you take the advice of? Well, 2,000 years ago in human history, a Galilean carpenter stepped onto the pages of history and became the most influential person to have ever walked the earth. Over the last few weeks, we've been listening to what he had to say, which was from what would be the equivalent of a first century TED talk. 
Uh, one of those moments where people kind of listen and they have some things to say and, and they have influential words that go on. And, and what Jesus had to say was this Sermon on the Mount. It was Ted the Mount talk, something like that, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> but some of the most famous sayings of Jesus are actually found in this very talk. Um, turn the other cheek. Uh, don't judge lest you be judged, right? We, we hear it all the time. In fact, they've been so influential that we hear these phrases even from this guy, who's currently the richest person in the world, Elon Musk. I heard an, uh, an interview with him recently talking about what Christianity and Jesus meant uh, to him. And I'll quote him. And here's the quote on the screen. I agree with the principles that Jesus advocated. There is some wisdom in the teaching of Jesus. Things like turn the other cheek are very important. Right there, he quotes this talk. This very Sermon on the Mount. No matter what you think of Jesus today, no matter what your view of him is, you have to admit his teachings have been incredibly influential, haven't they? I want to put it to you. In a world of competing messages, Jesus is at least worth listening to, to hear what he has to say. And the passage that Hans read for us earlier is the, the final words on this sermon up that mountain. And everyone knows the best bits are at the end of a talk. A bit of a hint if you're listening to the sermon. They always kind of conclude at the end, so make sure you're listening at that point there. And here Jesus doesn't disappoint. He starts in verse 24 with the word, therefore. And you're like, oh, he's bringing it all to a conclusion. Therefore, here we go, summarizing what he said. And then he answers the question that each one of us have been grappling with. What do you build your life on? Whose word do you build your life on? Jesus then uses an illustration. And I love the way he uses illustrations and the way he does these talks. And he helps us to understand um, what he's trying to say by using these illustrations from life. Imagine two houses, he says. As you walk down the street, they, they look very similar. Probably in one of these new kind of suburban areas where all the houses are exactly the same and they look the same and there's no difference. And all the architects inside die and all the developers say, woo, more money. You know, they're probably, they look the same on the outside. Same paintwork, same double glazing, same kind of tiny backyard, garage. Uh, some of them, they've even got to look the same sleep out at the back. They look quite attractive. But everyone knows you can't judge a book by its cover or a house by the real estate agent's ad, right? You've got to go and pay for someone to come and do a building inspection because we need to dig below the surface. We need to see what's hidden underneath. And as Jesus tells this story of two houses, we find that one of the builders has taken some, some shortcuts, a bit, bit shonky, and they're pretty significant. Actually, I heard a story very much like this in Auckland of a developer who um, decided that what they wanted to do was to save money in the way they were building these houses. And when you lay the foundations of a house, if it's concrete, you, you put in it this reinforcing mesh that kind of helps the concrete stay firm and, and secure and not, not crack. And what happens is you've got to get the, the council inspector to come and check the mesh before you lay the concrete, because once the concrete's in, you, you can't see the mesh that's in there. And what this developer did was they put the, concrete, the mesh out, the inspector came and checked it, and the very next day they pulled the concrete. But overnight, they took all the mesh out because they wanted to save money and they moved it to the next house and they put it in there, poured the concrete in the first one and everything was fine. Then the inspector came back and looked at the next one. And after a while, this inspector started to go, why are they not doing all the concrete pouring at once? Normally you do it at the same time. And so he came back at night, found them out and the foundations they were building were shonky as. It's kind of like Jesus knew that was happening. He talks about these two builders who build these houses, one on solid rock, one on sand. And to start with, you can't notice any difference in these houses from the outside. But a day will come, Jesus says, verse 27, when the difference of the foundation they are built on will come to fruition. Look at verse 27 with me. 
The rain fell, the rivers rose, (laughs) sounds like Auckland, and the wind blew and pounded that house. It collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. Jesus tells this story. The house is a metaphor for your life and mine. Jesus is asking us as we come and consider him today and who he is in human history, what foundations have you built your life on? See, all of us, if we haven't already, will be exposed to the storms of life. All sorts of things will come crashing in. Things will will, will challenge us and push us around and cause us to, to think, is life worth living? And whether it's financial worry, failing health, broken relationships, they all come and and cause us to think through what really matters. The question is, how will you weather those storms? Uh, Growing up, one of my most vivid memories, and it wasn't necessarily a great one, was waking up to a large number of gunshots going off in my next-door neighbor's house. Uh, It was the middle of the night, and there's gunshots going bang, 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 like this. Uh, my dad ran outside, and I lived on, on kind of big acreage, and so the, the next house was about 800, 900 metres down the road, so it was a fair way away, and my neighbour's house was on fire. Uh, someone had come and burgled it and, and taken some things. We were looking after the house while they were away on holidays. They had some guns, they had ammunition. The fire got to where the ammunition was. That was what was happening. The, the, they were kind of going off, and their whole house burnt to the ground. These friends were into restoring old cars like my dad was. They had cars from the 1920s in their garage, all just totally burnt to a crisp. Everything in their house gone. Friends came back to holidays from holidays and went, yeah, we're not insured either. Everything gone. What's worse, that saw the breakdown of their marriage, the destruction of their family, and them moving very, very, very far apart. And you look at that and there's a sadness that you have, isn't there? You go, oh, life as you knew it, your family didn't go through this storm of life. What was their foundation? What is your foundation? If we're building our lives on what can be taken away and what Jesus says can be destroyed by rust or stolen by thieves, if we're finding meaning and purpose in life by those things that we add in, even good things, that like a house built on the sand, when the storms of life come, our house, our lives will come crashing down. Viktor Frankl was a Holocaust survivor and also a psychiatrist who spent time in four death camps. And he wrote a book reflecting on the meaning of life and how people's view of life affected the way they responded within the death camps. Uh, There were some people, he says, whose life's meaning was about their relationship with their spouse or their career in academia. Some people built their life around their children, their jobs and their wealth. But he noted when they went into the death camps... Their meaning, their foundation of their lives was taken away from them. He says, when someone's meaning, someone's foundation is stripped away, they end up shriveling and dying. It was a fact that what they built their life on, they couldn't have access to anymore. They had no strength to keep going. What do you build your life on? What keeps you going when things are hard? What makes you go, yes, I'm going to keep going on in life? I mean, family brings me lots of meaning. Being part of a church family is a great joy of having people that know you and care for you, my, my health, my friends. They're all, all key parts of my life. But if any of those things are the very foundation of my life, then my life's incredibly fragile. Because those things are so easy to, to go and disappear. Death is so close. The claim of Jesus 
as we think through his words on this great sermon this day, is that the only foundation worth building your life on is a foundation that lasts beyond death. A few verses before, Jesus had said this in Matthew 7, verse 15. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? No. Are figs from thistles? No. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. Now we don't really have many people going around today saying, I'm a prophet. There are some. People say some crazy things. They say, you know, I'm the prophet you should listen to. You don't get people coming around saying, I'm a wolf, you know, in sheep's clothing. You don't say that either. Um, But we have so many voices that are calling out, this is the best thing to trust in for your future. In a sense, they're, they're like prophets. They're pointing forward what the future will look like. They're saying, invest in this, spend your time here. And, and when, you, when you focus on these things, then your life will be good. Wealth matters because it promises security and comfort. Relationships matter because they promise companionship and relationship. Health matters because it, it gives us life. Problem is, all these foundations, all these prophets, and there's good things within them, they promise life but end in death. They all end in death. They do not deliver on what they promise. They're kind of a false prophet here. But what Jesus is calling us to recognize is that we need to build our lives on the foundation of His Word. That what He is saying, that what He has come to do is the ultimate foundation. On Good Friday, we reflect on that reality that that Jesus came and He died. He didn't just die as an accident. He died as part of his plan. He died in our place for us, turning our backs on God. He lived the life we couldn't live and he died the death that we deserve. But today, we remember, we remember that death is not the end for Jesus. That he didn't stay dead. And in fact, that's exactly what he said would happen. That he would rise from the dead. Have a look. Mark verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 31. Mark recounts what Jesus said to them. He says this. For the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after he is killed, he will rise three days later. If you missed it on that side, you can check it. Still there, still good. (laughs) See, people often think that Christians are nuts for believing that Jesus could have risen from the dead. It's like it's laughable. It's crazy. Why people like dead people don't come back to life? That is not what happens. That is not normal. But the resurrection of Jesus is grounded in history. It's grounded in historical fact of what went on, of people seeing it, of eyewitness accounts. And you can't take history away. You can't shape or mold history to your liking or remove parts of it that that might paint a different picture for you. Um, Ming recently put me onto this series called Almost Impossible. You see the title banner up there now. It's a series online and it basically documents how Physically impossible, some historical sports records are to achieve. And Ming's into his sports stuff, and there's a whole heap of different things. Like, did you know it's almost physically impossible to throw a shot put over 24 meters? I haven't tried lately. You can give it a go when you get home. Um, Almost impossible. Or it's almost physically impossible to skip a stone more than 89 times. 88, you're sweet. But getting it over that 89, it's almost impossible. Or apparently in basketball, shooting over 95% from the free throw line is almost impossible. They're weird facts, right? Uh, Ming's sometimes a weird guy. He likes his science, though. 
But sports scientists, athletes come on the show to demonstrate how impossible each record is, but it's called almost impossible for a reason. Because the record's grounded in history. Because someone has actually done it. They've actually broken those records that so many people find hard to do. And we come along and we hear the news of Jesus' resurrection and we say, oh, that can't happen. You know, I've not seen anyone rise from the dead. It, it sounds impossible. <laughs> exactly. It does. That's why it's so amazing. It's why it's written for us to kind of recognize and, and to change our lives based on it. But as we try and challenge the resurrection of Jesus on, on the grounds of science or philo philosophy or whatever, it's kind of like saying, look, the Titanic never sunk because it was, was built unsinkable. Or, uh, you know, Will Chamberlain, basketball great, never scored 100 points in the NBA because no one else has done it since. Or Shakespeare, Hitler, Picasso never existed because I haven't seen them. I wasn't there. It didn't happen. The resurrection of Jesus is believable because it makes the best sense of the historical evidence of what happened to this man, Jesus of Nazareth. Where did his body go? Uh, look, surely they could have just found it if, if, if they'd taken it away. And why were people so willing to die for the reality that they saw him risen from the dead? They could have just said, nah, I'm making it up. You know, I don't want to die. But, but, but so many did. And this changed human history. People followed him as real people who were there, who saw it with their own eyes. See, right from the beginning, Christians have always believed and celebrated Jesus rising from the dead. Not just some spiritual, he's risen in our minds or our hearts. But physically, really, that's what they said happened. He rose from the dead and they died for it. Look at what Peter says, one of Jesus' closest friends. 2 Peter verse 1. Sorry, chapter 1, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They saw him risen from the dead. They were convinced and were happy to die for it. For it, The resurrection of Jesus is grounded in history. Even if it's only happened once, people saw it. Now, here's the key. Here's what makes today such a good day to celebrate. You can build your life on the foundation of Jesus because what he says happens, happened. Because he rose from the dead. He's the only foundation that goes beyond death, that conquers death, that offers life that does not end and gives us right relationship with God now and a life that's worth living in its fullness. In John 10, Jesus says, I've come so you may have life and have it in abundance. Matthew 7 verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who put reinforcement in his basement, not quite, who built his house on the rock. The question is today, is Jesus the foundation of your life? See, trusting Jesus, following him, it's more than just a label, more than something you just put up on Facebook, I'm a Christian. Or you put down somewhere to say, oh, if things go bad, yeah, get a, get a Christian priest in or something, if, you know, if that even exists. It's more than just what you know. It's more than what you can just theologically and and theoretically analyze about Jesus or what the Bible says. And it's even more than what you do. You know, we, we might come along to church at Easter. We might pray. We might give to charity. Having Jesus as the foundation of your life affects everything. Like any house foundation, everything's grounded on it and upheld by it. So it is with Jesus' word. If he really rose from the dead, 
And he really offers forgiveness of our sins and life with him forever. And doesn't it make sense to let that reality shape the way we think and what we do and say and to shape everything in our lives? If Jesus is God and he made us and he sustains us and he's offering you and me life, man, then surely that is the foundation to build our lives on. Taking Jesus at his word isn't just you know, adding a sleep out out the back or putting on a new coat of paint to the, to the, lives of, of, to the houses of our lives. It's a complete repiling, a refounding of everything that we're about. Having relationship with God, knowing that Jesus has loved me, that he's died for me, that he's risen again and offered life that doesn't end, that gives security. That is so much more worth trusting in, so much better than the other foundations that the world around us is crying out. And that brings a joy that nothing else in this world could ever offer. That's why Easter is such a great time, isn't it? It is if you trust in Him. But weathering the storms of life isn't our only concern. Because Jesus here talks about another storm that's got even greater consequences. It's the storm of God. See, many people go through life making the mistake that if we're content and if we're happy and at peace, if we've survived kind of through pain and suffering, then the foundation that we've got in life is obviously good enough. It's gotten me through the storms of this life. That's fine. But Jesus isn't just talking about the storms of life that will expose our foundations here and now. There's actually a deeper and more profound meaning behind this this picture of the two houses. It talks about this house being destroyed and brought down. And and this image that's used throughout the scriptures is actually an image of what the Bible calls hell. Separation from God's goodness forever. Under the the penalty that we deserve, you're like, whoa, that got dark quick. He's talking about hell. What's going on here? Well, Jesus brings it up. The Bible uses kind of three images for that. um, what happens after death if we've rejected God. It talks about fire as one image. Another one is isolation. Uh, or exclusion. And the third is destruction, like what our passage is saying. And Jesus is saying here, these two houses at first looked good. They looked great. They looked the same. They were standing tall alongside, doing well on the outside. But when it comes to that final day, destruction is what will happen to the one that is built on any foundation other than him, other than his word. So often in life, it's super easy, isn't it? to look at others, to look at the world around us and say, well, everything looks good to me. It doesn't look like there's too much difference between my life and their life. They're kind of going well. They've got a good reputation, good jobs, good family. I'm trying to do the same. We kind of look similar here. I mean, why am I putting all this effort into listening to what Jesus has to say? Why am I putting all this effort into going, man, I actually want to live for him. Does it really matter? But Jesus says, Think of the storm of God that is coming, judgment day. Death comes and we come face to face with the God of the universe. The God that we've perhaps rejected. The God that we've said, look, no offense, but I just want to run my life my way without you. I want you to imagine for a moment that you went on a holiday, right? Apparently that's going to be possible or is possible very soon. We can leave New Zealand. Uh, not that you want to. New Zealand's great. Uh, I don't know what Aul- Andrew's talking about, Auckland being bad. Auckland's awesome. Anyway, um, so well done for those that are staying here. Uh, imagine you can go on a holiday and, and you can go to the UK. No, I've never been to the UK. Uh, but there's one place I'd love to visit and that's Buckingham Palace. 
You know, it's, it's the seat of kind of the throne of the British Empire. And imagine you get to go on a tour of Buckingham Palace. Uh, you get taken in, and this is a special VIP tour. They get to take you through every room in the palace. You get to kind of look through them all and, and see what's happening there. And then they take you into the, the, the room that I, I would love to see, is the throne room. I don't know where it is, what it looks like, but there's a room somewhere with, with the throne of the Queen there. And that throne and what it represents, is, while you know, the British Empire isn't what it once was, it's still the, the seat of power for the whole British Empire. Imagine you're there with a tour group and they're explaining you know, all the different aspects of the throne and when it, when it was created and, and the crown is out on display next to it and it's also got that little standy sticky thing, whatever you call the sticky thing next to the throny thing. It's got that there as well, that kind of, I don't know, like Gandalf had that one, but a queen version or a king version, that. And it's got a robe there as well and you're kind of hearing that stuff and then you, I think there's a point if you were there at that moment and you saw the throne and you're like, look, there's no one coming behind us. There's a sense where I'd want to go, oh, I just want to get a quick selfie with me on the throne, right? I mean, who wouldn't want to go, look at what I got. It's me sitting on the throne of the British Empire, you know? And then imagine the group moved on, no security in the room, and you just hung back and went, there's no one here. I mean, would you do it? There's no one in the room? No one looking around? Would you go, yeah, now's the time. My phone, I'd flick it around on face mode. Maybe, maybe do it like a, a live stream thing. And so then you go, okay, you, you, I'm going to do it. So you run, you climb over the fancy thing, nothing goes off, you're like, great. Then you kind of get there and you, you sit down, feel what it's like. I'm like, this is awesome. And then you put the crown on your head and the, and the kind of robe on and you, you're getting ready with a sticky thing. And then suddenly some alarm goes off and the police come running in. How are you going to feel at that point? Uh-oh. <laughs> or maybe not. Maybe, maybe it just goes to your head. And you stand up and say, in the name of the King of England, stop. Because you're, you're wearing all the stuff. You're there, look who I am. I've got the hat on. I've got the sticky thing. I've got the, the thrones here. I say, be off with you. And then they just kind of look and scratch their heads. and like, yeah, this is not going to end well. And then the queen walks into the room. Who do you think you are? Sitting in my seat, pretending to be the ruler of this empire. Do you have any idea what you are doing? But friends, that's what we do when we make our foundation of our life whatever we want it to be other than God. We actually step into the throne room of God and say, I'm going to run my life without you. No offense, I'm going to sit on your throne and I'm going to say, look, I just want to run life my way. I don't really need to worry about you that much. I'm just going to choose the things I want to choose and have a good life. And, you know, it looks, doesn't look too different from the other Christians around me or other people around me. I'm doing good things. And, but deep down, your foundation is very, very different. It's on you choosing. What's going to happen when we come, not before the queen or the king, but on that last day before the God of the universe? It'll be more than a slap in the face, that's for sure. He's going to say, what are you doing running your life without me? Who do you think you are rejecting me? You've rejected the one who has given you life. Do you think that you deserve anything but death? I've given you so much and you've just gone, oh, no offense, I think I know better. <laughs> The final storm of coming face to face with the God of the universe is something you and I are going to face. I can guarantee it. And the question is, what will be the foundation that we are standing on when we face God that day? If you've come to Jesus, if you've said, look, I, I shouldn't be running my life my way. I need to get off this throne and trust him. 
then your foundation is his word. It's his death in our place and his resurrection. You can stand before God saying, look, while I haven't run life perfectly, Jesus died in my place and he's risen again and I trust him. My only hope is that he's paid the price for me and stand forgiven and have life that lasts forever, a relationship with God, taking this amazing offer that God the Son would come and die for you. Or you can stand on your own two feet and say, my foundation is my works. Look at what I've done. And Jesus, just a few verses earlier, says, the words you will hear are, get away from me, for I never knew you. This passage got me thinking, why are we so obsessed with our own foundations? Why were the builders in this passage that Jesus talked about, why was one of them so obsessed with building on sand? What was going on there? Why did he reject Jesus' word and not listen to it? Well, I was thinking, why would we do that? Well, perhaps it's because we're short-sighted. We look at the world around us and we just think, man, this stuff looks fine. It looks good. I want to enjoy it here and now. And we don't think about what's to come. We just look at the present and it looks fine because it promises some comfort, some wealth. We just can't be bothered living Jesus' way. It's too hard. Or perhaps it's because we really only care about what we look like on the outside that we look fine to everyone else, that we're ticking the right social boxes, that everyone else says, yes, you're a good person and it's about our pride. Either way, either way, we are the ones who are being on the throne of our lives. My question is, what fruit do you have to test that you or I are going to be good rulers of our lives? If we're promising that we can run our lives well, what, how, what, on what basis are we doing that? Jesus comes along and says, I'm promising life forever and he proves it by rising again. Tell you what I've got, a long history of failure, a long history of not getting things right, of stumbling, of hurting others. And my guess is that you're the same. Friends, I want to encourage you today. Come to Jesus, the foundation that lasts. Stop pretending you can sit on God's throne and running your life His way. Put your life in Jesus' hands and let that shape everything the way that you live, it's the best life now or whether the storms of life now and we'll see you in eternity forever in the new creation with God and his people. For many of us here, we hear what Jesus says and we say, look, Jesus is the foundation of my life. I'm, I'm a Christian. I, I come to church. I try to live, um, build my life on him. What Jesus is saying to us is take a moment to stop and look what you're actually building your life on. Yes, keep trusting me. But are there things that you're kind of extending your life on that have a different foundation other than Jesus? What if those things, those things that you, you kind of are building your life on that maybe aren't quite Jesus and His Word, what if the storms of life took them away? Would your life crumble? There might be good things, honorable things. I mean, you might even do good things like what Elon Musk said. You might think something good about the way God works and what he's done. But unless we are 100% totally and squarely based on Jesus as our only foundation, everything we build will crumble. But if we listen to his word and actually trust it, if we let it shape our lives, not just as some addition, but let it permeate every room of our house and every decision that we make, then what we have is life that lasts. We won't make perfect decisions. We won't obey perfectly. But if we keep coming back to Him and what Jesus has done and look to the cross and His resurrection, that is a life that's lived with security.
far better than any other security that the world offers. This Easter, as we reflect on what Jesus did, on his death and his resurrection, and we see him so clearly say, build your life on my word. It's my encouragement. It's his encouragement today. More than that. It's his command to you as his creation and me to say, trust me. Build your life on me. Let's pray. Father God, we today stand here and are amazed. Even more so than those that heard this word and were amazed in Matthew 7. We are amazed that that Jesus would come and live and die for us. That he would be raised from the dead and give us, people who've sat on the throne of our lives, who've taken your place, that you give us life that lasts forever. Lord God, we are sorry for building our lives on so many things that aren't worthwhile and that aren't Jesus' word. Please help us today to see the great hope that comes with trusting in Jesus. See how much better life is now and life that lasts forever. We ask that you would fix our eyes on the wonder of the resurrection and that would propel us to live in your world for you. Father, today for those of us here that want to come to you, we pray you would you would draw us. You'd help us to recognize our sin, help us to recognize our failure, and today, trust in your Son. We pray this in His great name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful, and if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.